again, Medical Education Podcast listeners. This is Kevin Yee, the editor-in-chief of the journal, coming to you today with an exciting conversation that I am looking forward to having because we're going to be focusing on a topic that's near and dear to my heart, but particularly exciting because the individual whose voice you'll hear momentarily is a PhD candidate at Deakin University, and we'll be discussing some of the work that is leading into his PhD. Damien Castanelli is also a pediatric anesthetist at Monas University, and he and his co-authors have a paper coming out in the March 2022 issue of Medical Education entitled Trust, Power, and Learning and Workplace-Based Assessment, the Trainee Perspective. Damien, with everything going on in your life, PhD studies and clinical practice and everything else, I'm grateful that you made the time to talk. Thank you, Kevin. Very happy Uh, to be here. Well, and so let me just jump right into it and ask why trust is an important concept in workplace-based assessment. Why does it matter whether or not trainees have trust in the people who are charged with offering their impressions of the candidate's performance? Yeah, thanks. We're really interested with this study, you know, in trying to look at with programmatic assessment, assessment for learning, there's a lot of reports of people having trouble getting trainees to engage, to really use the assessments for learning. And so people often say it's a lack of education or training or a lack of understanding but it seemed that it was pretty unlikely. Trainees are fairly clever. Surely they can, you know, think this through. They probably have a good reason for what they're doing. And when we were thinking about that, I guess is where trust came in. You know, there's some sort of ideas that you really do need to trust people to be vulnerable and, you know, vulnerability is critical to learning. So that's kind of where we started, that we thought trust was something that was worth looking at. Yeah. Well, and so you just mentioned learning. This is a project about workplace-based assessments. In your context, how is that implemented in a way that would lead you to associate that activity with the goal of learning? So it's been about 10 years now. I think we've been working on, you know, the ideas of programmatic assessment includes using assessment for learning. And so the focus of workplace-based assessment sort of shifts from just giving a score, you know, to really, you know, how can it help the trainee with their learning? And so it's really that idea that underpins our view of workplace-based assessment. So I've worked with Professor Jenny Weller, one of my collaborators, and other people, you know, at the Australian New Zealand College of Anaesthetists to, you know, implement workplace-based assessment following the programmatic assessment ideal. But like others, we've had these same issues with getting trainees to engage meaningfully with the assessments. And so, you know, that really prompted us to look at that. What goes wrong then if somebody doesn't have trust? What were the observations that led you to believe this was a study that was worth taking on in terms of the challenges that have been observed? Yeah, well, our own work and other people, you know, have found that trainees game assessments, the idea that they look for lenient assessors and easy cases so that, you know, they look good or that they take, you know, what's been called a performative focus and stage of performance that what they think the assessor wants to see but both of these you know really make it difficult for the trainees to use them for learning you know they're much less likely to get meaningful feedback that they can then incorporate into future practice in that sense they're not ideal 
So you're not really maximizing the value of the, you know, the investment you've made in, you know, designing, creating and implementing this assessment program. Building on that, the second word or the second concept in your title is power. And it's clear early on in the paper that that was a concept that you were using to sensitize your thinking about these sorts of interactions. First of all, I guess, how are you defining power and more substantively, how did that concept influence your thinking about the way the study would be established? Mm. So power is a really complex topic. I'm sure you've already come across that yourself. There's so much you can read and so many different views. But in this work, we're really coming from a sociocultural perspective and looking at this really at the sort of micro level, I guess, is a relationship between supervisors and trainees rather than a sort of bigger macro level. We really base our understanding mostly on Foucault and the sort of relational aspect of power as he talked about it. And that sort of looks at how, you know, the structures can productively, in his views, constrain and enable people, you know, as they interact together. But also that those structures aren't fixed and permanent. They're created by people, uh, you know, actors acting together. So, yeah, that really underlies how we view power. And in the individual interaction, there's only the two actors present. So, you know, they establish that between them, how that's going to work. And effectively, because of the hierarchical nature, you know, that it happens in medicine, the supervisor sort of enacts this power over and the trainee then responds with their power too. And it's the interaction between those and how that's viewed from the trainee's perspective that we've really looked at. And so how did that interdigitate, so to speak, with the notion of trust? Was it that this power was always present in Foucault's sense and that therefore trust was important to enable the learning interactions to take place? Or was there a different sort of relationship between how trust and power influenced one another? Yeah, it sort of is, you know, mostly, as you say, power is pervasive. It's always there and needs to be accounted for. And trainees are certainly much more conscious of that than they are of trust. Trust is something that, you know, they they don't necessarily use the word trust, whereas they're conscious of power all the time when we're talking to them. So, and that, you know, it's productive. The hierarchy produces norms and helps them, you know, they have an idea of how to behave and what's expected of them. But it also then gives them opportunities and risks, I think is the best way to think of it. They need the supervisors to learn from. They need the exposure to the clinical practice and to the supervisor's expertise. But then the supervisor does have this control over their access to practice and to, you know, how they're seen, how they're viewed, their reputation in a sort of informal sense and then formally in an assessment sense, what information goes forward to for any decisions made about their progression in training. So, yeah, it's really that balance of opportunities and risks and choosing to trust, you know, comes into that balance. If I understood your observations correctly, those opportunities and risks seem to be felt 
somewhat independent of the nature of the interaction. You mentioned that similar things were seen whether a trainee was simply working with a preceptor in addition to when it was a more formal workplace-based assessment. Am I overstating that those tensions that you just described were always present or did trainees make a bit more of distinction between the particulars of one interaction relative to another? They were always present. Although we were looking at assessment, we couldn't really separate it out from practice in general in that any event could become an assessment event. The informal assessment system is very strong in our context. So an encounter that wasn't an assessment encounter, that doesn't mean that information from that wouldn't be used in an assessment context in the future. And so the trainees are conscious of that. Yeah, so the blurring between the assessment and just everyday practice was very strong. And how did that influence their behaviour in, in your observations? What facilitators or barriers did it create for them? Mm. So they really had to anticipate how their supervisor was going to use their power and that would really guide how much trust then they could have, how much openness or vulnerability they could show in their practice. And during an assessment really brought that into focus, but it was something that also they were taking account of in their everyday work. And so as they're trying to make sense of or anticipate, as you said, how that power is going to be used, that brings to mind for me that there are going to be situations where the preceptor is trying their best to offer formative experience. And there'll be other situations where they do perceive their role as being simply one of exerting whatever power or authority they need to exert in order to fulfill the needs of the program. Was there anything that the trainees said in terms of how they were reacting to those anticipations of power that would yield insight into what the preceptors could have done differently to better align the expectations of a given moment with the behavior that actually was enacted? Yeah, we looked at that as the trainees, we came to sort of use the term benevolence, I guess. The trainees perceived that the supervisor was acting in their interest. That was when they were more likely to trust and they could be open. And so it's that commitment to the trainee, the idea that the trainee's learning is one of the main goals of the interaction and that the ultimate progress of the trainee is something that the supervisor's committed to. Those ideas really influenced how they perceive the supervisor and the invitation to use the assessment for learning rather than simply as something that needed to be done or as an opportunity where they needed to show that they could practice as they were supposed to in some sort of stage performance. And did you get any insight into how the preceptors signal benevolence, how they establish that relationship or the trust that's your focal point in this effort? One of the key things was, you know, if the trainees have been vulnerable and that vulnerability has, you know, in a sense been rewarded, you know, as used as a learning experience rather than something that's detrimental to their progress or to their reputation, that was particularly important. You know, that experience, you know, they could use that, I guess, to predict future supervisor behavior. Hmm. So the trainees are feeling their way. They're experimenting a little bit with the preceptor to see how they'll react to certain things. That's right. Yeah. 
And so again, recognizing that this is one component of your broader PhD work, so you might not have all the answers you want just yet, but what is your current advice in terms of how trainees and supervisors can learn from the lessons that you've generated in this study and try to make it more likely that they'll be aligned with one another? I think ultimately we often look at this as you know, trainees and supervisors are in a partnership, you know, in some ways equally involved in trainee learning. But in the workplace, that's not really the reality. There is a power gradient. The trainees are negotiating a complex environment where they're not only learning, but also getting the work done and the patient, you know, is the focus. And the idea of using assessment for learning is something that we as supervisors or assessment designers have implemented. It's not something trainees came up with as far as I'm aware and so we're really asking them to do this and it's ultimately up to them whether they do it or not and we can't really make the assumption that they will see it as in their interests to do this so I think the implication there is as a supervisor is how do you you know encourage the trainee how do you invite them to make themselves vulnerable so and to think about you know, what you're doing if a trainee is open and vulnerable and, you know, makes a mistake or, you know, doesn't perform as well because they've really done something challenging, then how do you cope with that? What response do they get? Does it encourage them to do that in the future? Um, And I think that's sort of at the supervisor level. But also one of the implications from especially, you know, looking at Foucault's way of thinking about power is that the design of the system you know, really does constrain and enable certain behaviours. And so there are things that you could look at in the system that might encourage trainees to see it as in their interest to want to partake of assessment for learning. Well, and any particular examples in that line to lead us towards a close? What modifications would you recommend to nudge people in the right direction? In the paper, we look at some we could find in the literature already. So these ideas are already out there. It's just, I guess, spreading them and implementing them further. But the degree of trainee agency and control over their assessments, if they can decide what assessments go forward for decision making, then, you know, that takes a lot of the risk out. And so whether that's an absolute control or whether it was, a you know, would be a relative control, but some control over what information is going to be used is going to yeah take the risk you know down a notch and so that's one idea that we had um and you know similarly in our system there's a convention if you like that trainees initiate assessments and i don't know if every system has that but it really served to help balance the power gradient and even though actually in our curriculum supervisors can initiate assessments it's just it's not the norm it's not what's expected and so it's not what happens but that gave trainees the opportunity then if they really you know didn't want a supervisor to do an assessment they would not initiate it they would not agree to it and so that's something that we could see in our study you know had helped rebalance the power and so I don't think giving trainees you know more power necessarily you know is going to fix everything and I don't think you know this is something that's going to be easily solved but you know you can nudge things in the right direction by making small changes and 
I think things that increase trainee agency are going to hopefully do that. And I would say your paper itself is a nudge in the right direction. So thank you for sharing it with us. And I'll just remind those who are listening, if they want the additional details, that they'll find them in the March 2022 issue of medical education under the title of Trust, Power, and Learning in Workplace-Based Assessment, The Trainee Perspective. Damien Castanelli is the PhD candidate who's been working on this and whose voice you've been listening to. And congratulations, Damien. I hope the light at the end of your PhD candidacy is growing brighter and look forward to seeing how things wrap up for you. Congratulations on the work and good luck with the rest of it. All right. Thank you very much, Kevin. 